0: To build a good product, you've got to embrace change. When you have a product and you change something about the product, there's really only three outcomes. Okay, it's going to get better, it's going to get worse, or it's going to stay the same. If an individual contributor has an idea that is going to make the product better, they should be empowered to go
1: execute that idea. Welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast. I am your guest host today, David Smook, founder and CEO of Hacker Noon, how hackers start their afternoon. I'm the guest host today because we've hired a new person and a new firm, Dane Lyons of V1 Labs. I've known Dane for a while, and he's gonna serve as interim CTO uh, as Hacker Noon builds its own infrastructure. And Dane is a great person for this because he's built a lot of products. He's really one of the better products. Minds I've had the chance to work with in the past. We worked together in this first company. I worked for him, uh, Notify, and they sold to Kissmetrics, uh, where Dane was an engineering leader there for a while. And before that, you know, a lot of cool stuff with how tags and stories work. I forget the company's name now, but got bought by Walmart, Walmart Labs. And uh, anyway, today um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the future of Hacker Noon, what does you know digital publishing look like for the tech industry, um, and then more specifically, Scrum versus Agile, uh, moving from wireframes to interactive prototypes. What does it mean to build an MVP? Excited to have you on, Dane. That's great. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I love the direction of uh, Hacker Noon, to be honest. I think that Hacker Noon, in my mind, is is brutalism at at its best. Just very unapologetically raw. And I I like that. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I think the blindingly green does a lot of that rawness. And then like when you open it up to, you know, contributors of all walks of life and, you know, you're really your only qualification is to doing cool work about tech or having a, you know, your own perspective about tech. You just really open up to a lot of different tones and voices. So, Dane, uh, what do you think makes a good product? Well, I think that
0: it's a complicated question. But for me, I think that to build a good product, you've got to embrace change. When you have a product and you change something about the product, there's really only three outcomes. Like it's going to get, get better, it's going to get worse, or it's going to stay this. And if it gets worse, you can usually change it, change it back. So there's no real harm in change. And, and the upside of changing is very high. So I believe that uh, teams need to find a system that embraces change, whatever that is.
1: And do you ever fear that too many changes, too many iterations can lead to you know lack of identity or insanity? Changes can um, occasionally be negative. I think that you
0: can always you can always have misguided changes, and I think that a lot of founders and a lot of um, people who are in charge of products, I think that creates a lot of fear. That there is a risk in in a change going awry, but the upside is so much greater that it's worth it.
1: Was it scared money? Don't make money. <sighs> yeah, I guess. Could you tell me a little bit about um, Scrum and whether you think people should be using it? So in my mind, Scrum is, is not inherently bad,
0: but is it is not a great process for an early stage company. And the reason behind that, it kind of comes back to what I was just talking about, change. And Scrum is not optimized for change or for um, bringing about change. Scrum is, has actually has a relatively bureaucratic process in terms of bringing about change. Uh, You have your stakeholders and your product owners who basically decide things. And through this long process, they convert ideas into tasks. And then your individual contributors are uh, responsible for delivering those tasks. That gets into a lot of, uh, you get into trouble when you need to adapt and it's very slow to redefine your job.
1: Is the most uh, top-down engineering management style? Uh, Scrum
0: is definitely not the most top-down engineering management style, but I think it's um, deceptive in that people think it, it's a very agile and, and nimble process, but it is pretty top-down in my opinion. At least most implementations that I've seen.
1: How do you think agile is more is uh, more bottom up? In, in my mind, like agile should really create
0: a system where um, individual contributors can make the decisions that bring about change. And if you can do that, then the process of you know, defining your tasks, and like, it, doesn't, it shouldn't take two weeks to go and create, create a bunch of stories so, so people can bring about change. If an individual contributor has an idea that is going to make the product better, they should be empowered to go execute that idea.
1: Um, where do you see um, ideas going awry, though, with um, an agile s- structure? In order for agile to
0: work well, you've got to really spend a lot of time thinking about your KPIs. You've got to come up with a theory about which numbers are which numbers you, you want to focus on to prove that you're building a better product. And if you can do that well, then you can d- make a determination whether any change that you bring to the product is actually positive or negative.
1: Yeah. I really like being a, a results-driven operation. It's just like there are, um, you know, opinions everywhere, but agreeing, you know, what facts and what numbers we're trying to move definitely aligns people's goals in a way that gives them a freedom to to approach the problem in in more creative ways. But like, there is a challenge in your KPIs where a lot of times people are not very
0: good at determining what KPIs they should actually pursue. And a lot of times, either your KPIs are are too high level. So individual contributors can't actually do anything to influence those numbers. Or you might be tempted to go after a lower level KPI that is actually not correlated with, say, revenue. Like, say, if revenue is your highest level KPI, you might get uh, seduced into having some other metric that everybody believes in. But like everybody's focused on moving that metric, but it doesn't actually make a better product in the end.
1: So Hacker Hacker Noon is moving from two employees, uh, me and my wife and partner, Ling. And now we're moving to having an interim CTO, you, and then two to three developers. And so we're looking at, you know, kind of a small team, like many startups, you know, and and being, you know, lean and small. How many uh, KPIs do you realistically think a company of this size uh, should have? In in my mind, I I, I think it's good to have at least two KPIs.
0: A lot of people will try to focus on a single KPI, but I think you... You need to have your high-level compass KPI, and maybe that is um, revenue in, in a lot of cases for companies. And then you need to have a lower-level KPI, which is a lot more relevant for, for the product. So maybe um, on the product side of things, you might have a KPI like how many new stories are being created uh, or written, how many like, drafts are being created. Like you've got a lot of options. Like, um, you can probably assume that the more stories that are created, the, the more revenue that's going to be generated. And if, if you get into a thing where you, you're optimizing for stories and you, you're cranking out a bunch of stories and things aren't going so well, then then maybe you've got a quality problem and you need to adjust your KPIs. But it's fine to start out with a KPI that, that optimizes for the number of stories.
1: Yeah. And I've kind of grown through that exact problem. And I like to think of getting to the 80% and having that be a qualitative thing. And, you know, that's yes or no. And then that once that's yes or no, that yes and of multiplied by stories published is your real rate of publishing Mm -hmm. you know because it's like in trying to publish a lot you know you make mistakes and you know you figure out ways where like you should have quality control higher and I haven't and then so but once it's of a certain level you know it's more up to the community and I think a lot about like you know serving contributors serving the larger community the readers and then you know making money and that's kind of where the three you know KPIs were teared down from. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So we worked together also on a number of projects um, that have had <laughs> different degrees of success um, with, you know, things like uh, 40, starting 42 higher and paid story. And what have you learned over the last, you know, because you've kind of gone back and forth of like creating a lot of early products, you know, then being in a not a large engineering team, but being in more structured setups and the larger teams. Um, How are you approaching building MVPs now that you weren't, you know, early in your career? Well, I'm definitely moving much more towards building functional prototypes. So um
0: like as we were talking about the importance of change early earlier, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense to consider the cost of change and if you're introducing change into a fully formed product like a, a complex product that's already in the marketplace, then, then the cost of change is pretty high like you've got to, like as an engineer you've got to worry about uh, testing you've got to worry about like a, a lot of considerations like there's so many dependencies to, to deal with. And so any kind of change that you bring about is usually pretty expensive. But you could also go the the other route of trying to experiment outside of the product and to build functional prototypes that explore ideas and try to get validation where the cost of change is very low. And I think that there's a lot of value in doing that.
1: Let's just jump around a little bit. Okay. Sounds good. So, Dane... This is the Hacker Noon podcast. Could you uh, tell us about some of your work and life hacks?
0: My, my life hack is all about productivity. Uh, I find that as an engineer, there are just so many distractions in life. And for me to kind of avoid some of those, I kind of use the, like a, a variation of the the Pomodoro technique. like to... What I call a a captain's log. So I will write down like a a goal for the next 20 minutes and then I will set a timer for 20 minutes. It it could be 20 minutes to an hour. Uh, So you write down a goal, you set a timer and you work like crazy. And then at the end of that timer, you have to write what you accomplished. And by having that like accountability to myself to write down what I accomplished, I, I find that I get so much more work done during that that little kind of like mini sprint of twenty minutes.
1: That have you been able to uh, keep going strong and like structure no. you know weeks at a time like this? I, I think the longest I've,
0: I've gone is probably about a week, and I, I'm actually quite happy when, when I'm doing that. One problem that I've run into quite often is um, being able to to manage all of it. So. What I would really like is an application where I have a an easily like a, a visual indicator of uh, like all of the the twenty minute sprints that I've accomplished over, over a given week and uh, like an easy way to dive into those sprints and and uh, to I, I guess they're not I don't know if they're called sprints I don't know what they're called but an easy way to to dive into those notes um, if I could have have a better tool for organizing those I, I would be I, I think I'd be a lot more disciplined in using it.
1: Yeah, that would be a good app to create. But uh, we dive, uh, diverge. <laughs> yeah. So, could you tell me a little bit about uh, V1 Labs and uh, where you think you're going?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, V1 Labs is all about helping companies introduce a, a discovery track. So, a, a lot of agile teams have what I would consider a delivery track, where you you have you have a backlog of tasks that get delivered. Like we, we were discussing earlier, like. Uh, It's difficult to just have a pure delivery track and to innovate. You really need to be investing a lot of your energy into figuring out what makes sense for your product going forward and to validate those assumptions. So V1 Labs is all about that. It's helping you get started on building a new feature or a new product.
1: Or a new content management system. Or a new content management system, whatever it may be. Yeah, content management, man, it's wild. WordPress is 30% of the internet. Yep. Uh, no one really likes it. Uh, innovative new things are being built, you know, and um, a lot of them, it's a very like, to go after the whole content management system market is a gigantic, gigantic market, but it's like a real pain to fit your use case to everyone. And I don't want to fit my use case to everyone. I, I'm of the philosophy of like, cut 90% of WordPress, give me the right 10% and I will have a site that's 10 times better than if I built my site on WordPress. This thing of where I've been thinking more about products of like, I just don't want any extra stuff as it's not essential. And like I've been Forcing kind of the hacker noon workflow into the medium publication workflow. And, you know, it helped us grow, but it also limited us, you know, with things like uh, just like how contributors communicate with their community. Now, I'm of the opinion, if you don't have their email address, they're not your follower. Right. And it's just like trying to think about how we're going to reinvent this and uh, take what's working and, you know, fix with how we, how contributors want to work.
0: No, that, that all makes a lot of sense. I, I've actually have quite a bit of experience working with building WordPress websites and blogs. I think that they were a fantastic innovation compared to what came before WordPress, which was um, got it must be fifteen years ago, or I don't maybe maybe not quite that long, maybe it's twelve, thirteen years ago. So they came out with this this, plat, this blogging platform, which was great and. They had a plugin system where you could extend the functionality. It it wasn't a great system. Like, um, I, I think even today they do a poor job of making sure that the plugins that you've added to your, to your WordPress implementation are not going to break your blog or, and are compatible with the other plugins. So they don't do a very good job of that. I don't think the database is structured very well, to be honest. They could make a lot of improvements. I, I definitely agree that for Hacker Noon, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to try to, to take WordPress and to kind of add all, all the functionality that you need and then to kind of like pare down all the stuff that you don't need. It, it's just, it's a complete mess for that, that sort of thing. You're much better off just
1: building something from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely the conclusion that I've reached, and yeah, it's like the deeper you get, the more you know you're you just don't want to be relying on other people and trusting these other firms to continue supporting the technology that they support. It's, it's, a, it's a trust thing. And then it's how trustworthy is the brand. You know, WordPress is like 30% of the internet and they're still not making that much money for being 30% of the internet and powering, you know, 30% of websites. It's uh, There's always a balance between, you know, building to help other people's business versus building to help your own. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> and when your own business is struggling, you see it in how, you know, you start to treat other, other people around the internet. And um, so, you know, I really want to have sustainability and sufficiency from the ground up. And, you know, a lot of people are in spots like me. Um, So could you talk a little bit about taking wireframes and moving them to, you know, interactive prototypes? I actually want to come back to the WordPress thing just a second. And
0: then I can can move on to the the wireframes. Uh, So one thing that I think is pretty interesting about using WordPress to run your product is uh, their plugin system. So, like as we were talking about earlier, when it when it comes to um, introducing change, you actually don't have a lot of change when it comes to WordPress. Like you have you have a lot of plugins that you can just pop into your uh, application and add functionality, but to iterate on that functionality, it's really difficult because you've got to go and learn the code base of each individual plugin. And sometimes you've got to just uh, take it upon yourself to go and change the functionality if it doesn't do what you want. A lot of times people will go and they'll rotate through plugins to try to you know find the, the perfect commenting plugin or the perfect capture plugin. Nothing really kind of solves the problem, so then you you have the burden of going and and trying to modify one of the existing plugins. so it's not conducive to change. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: yeah, I think software has a longer um reaching problem of a lot of it's with the incentives of how software is sold, where it's just like you want to be able to check this box that it always has more you know like this r f p structure, and then whenever you're saying i'm a, you can do any type of you know software on top of this software. It's like, oh, yeah, you make it so easy to add software, but you make it so hard to remove. It's, it's right. like you can't change if you can't remove. You have, to, you should be removing as much as you're gaining. You know, at the end of the day, it's like you change stuff, but you come back to an equilibrium. And if your whole point is just adding more and more and more and more features, you know, the, they're going get to get in the way of each other. Oh, absolutely.
0: I, I think that you need to really pare down your feature set to the the minimum number of features required to satisfy the use case
1: yeah and then get how many use cases do you support you know how big of a company are you and how which which of these use cases really your business and which one is not your business right Uh, it's 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 cool to think about where uh software and strategy overlap and you know when and when they work together well you know you understand like if it's ser- how it serves the contributing writer and then what contributing writer do you want to serve if we've become a destination where just brands publish press releases we're not going to be a very good site and th- at the same token if we become a destination where it's just like only product managers talking about why agile is better than scrum you know we're also not going to be a very good site but, you know like what how we support the contributors will drive the editorial line and then the editorial line will drive you know how we support the contributors.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a delicate balance because so many startups are pretty much forced to go like to go kind of up market way too fast and to not focus on smaller use cases just because they have got to satisfy investors. I think if you kind of go up up market too fast for the wrong reasons, it, it can
1: kill you. Yeah, I mean it's some investors are on the other side of things where they're like only satisfies users that really love you and only yeah. and don't worry about losing your eighty percent middle of you know users that like use you but may not tomorrow. Yeah, I like from my point of view, I think it, it makes sense to to really
0: go and try to find the best way to, to satisfy an individual use case to be relatively focused and like once you've kind of sought like cracked that nut, then then you can understand if your product makes sense for other adjacent use cases or if you need to build complementary products, but you can kind of expand that way. Like just kill it in in, uh, satisfying one use case at a time. I think that that's uh, Mm -hmm. kind of the way that I think about it.
1: Day to day, you know, you're living in San Francisco um, where I used to live once upon a time and You know, it's an expensive city. It's a unique city. It's got people from all walks of life. How are you, you know, hacking your life to live a better San Francisco? Oh, man. I... I'm probably not, to be honest.
0: I, I probably should not be in San Francisco, to be perfectly honest, because I'm, I'm not really taking advantage of the, the community here. I, I, w- I would love to spend you know, a few weeks or, or a month trying to think about this problem and trying to understand how to, to maximize my, my time in San Francisco and then to try to build around that because...
1: <laughs> I, that's time away from spending it in San Francisco you know, with other humans and what have you. Yep. Yep.
0: But I, I think that there's plenty of technology that can help solve this problem because, um, I mean, there's so many events that happen and it's kind of an information problem. Like you need to be able to be exposed to the information to like know when the events are available and, and which events you should be attending and who you should be networking with and, you know, all, all those sort of, sort of things. Like almost like a, I guess, like a personal CRM or, or some something like that.
1: And then artificial intelligence will monitor your activity and recommend related activities. Oh, yeah. yep. Yeah. I don't know. I hope you are always been a little more optimistic on the machines taking over than I have. Yeah, I I, I am pretty optimistic. I, I think that I, I don't know. I, I I think machine
0: learning is is just a, a fantastic thing. I, I recently Alpha uh, Alpha Zero beat uh, Stockfish, and like the first uh, like machine learning uh, or Google's first mach- machine learning foray into creating a, a, an AI for for playing chess and it's just uh it's just fantastic to, to see how creative this this ai has become but but the the ai that that google used to create this chess playing machine is not going to you know hack your vehicle and drive you off a bridge or something like that like it's it's just like that's not really um, something that, that I worry about too much. If, if there is some kind of like hacking attempt that I fall victim to, I, I think it's probably much more malicious intent rather than uh, like AI going around. I think that the risk of that is far higher.
1: Yeah, we publish um, Google's chief data science officer and she tied she one of her best posts. she puts machine learning, the simplest thing it is is a thing labeler. That's where it all starts. You know, how can you label this thing properly and then what do you learn from labeling a million things in a million different places and a million different whatever. So right. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It is kind of I'm like thinking about like searching photos, you know, is kind of an area where Google's done a lot and like it's just interesting, like especially like you, there's a piece of art in my office. It's abstract in their shapes and their circles, you know, is this going to be searchable under rectangle and circle or is it searchable under art, you know, and then like within the art, what other things does it recognize? recognizes it recognized that you know that this is a sunset or you know is that possible right. so it's like and it is yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but, but it's a very purpose built um, application it's not like like that ai is being is learning how to to walk or to, to do things that or even has the ability to do things that are malicious in, in nature i mean uh, c- certainly that there is a possibility that something like that could happen but for, for the most part, I, I don't think that the risk of, I mean, AI as we see it today is very high.
1: Yeah, but it'll still make mistakes. And that's why when a Tesla car crashes, it's in 10 million sites. And whenever, you know, the crash that happens outside your office happens, it doesn't make the newspaper. You know, it's yeah. like there's there's a, it's under a microscope right now because yeah. of the implication of switching, you know, all drivers to self-driving cars is, you know, massive on a labor level, a safety level, all that, um, and a, you know, performance level. Self-driving cars—that's the one where I just can't, can't get my eye off that industry. You know what I mean? No, definitely. It hits those things of those bigger tech themes versus like practical day-to-day application of running into everyone's lives from a business perspective and, and a user, you know, a rider. Dane, what do you think I should prioritize in the new Hacker Noon? Well, I, I think that you
0: should embrace a system that empowers your contributors. I, I definitely don't like to call contributors uh, resources. That that drives me crazy. I, I think contributors should be called collaborators. And so the engineers that you hire and the designers that you hire, I think that you need to empower them to, to make change and to to feel like they have the ability to, to do that. And that I think is, should be the number one priority.
1: Cool. Uh, So we're now hiring front end, back end. Uh, You can apply at uh, jobs.hackernoon.com, or you can just email Dane, Dane at hackernoon.com. That's uh, D-A-N-E, Dane. That's you. Yep, that's me. And uh, where else can uh, people find you, Dane? Uh, Also, Dane at v1labs.com
0: or on uh, Twitter at d u i l e n that's my my handle and and that's that's pretty much the your safest bet and dulian your handle uh, where did that come from i don't know like it, it was just a it's a name that i
1: invented uh, probably about 15 20 years ago and it just it just kind of stuck with me and that's your internet name, your internet given name, Selfie? Yeah, I, I think I, I probably
0: made it up like in like AOL days or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of stuck with
1: me. The early days of the internet. Yeah. And uh, anything the internet should be doing to be a better place?
0: There, there's a lot of problems with the internet. I mean, like there's there's a whole like cyberbullying thing and people just need to be more know, open and tolerant to, to their neighbors. And just, just good neighbors, I guess. Um, and that like if people were just better neighbors on the internet. Just like in real life, I think that the world would be a better place.
1: <laughs> I do too. Hey, uh, thanks for doing the Hacker Noon podcast. Uh, you can find more episodes at podcast.hackernoon.com, um, or just visit hackernoon.com, and I'm sure you'll uh, bump into a great tech story. Peace.